The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. Today's scripture is from Exodus 20, verses 1 through 3, and Romans chapter 1, 18 through 25. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. And now in Romans. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. For although they, they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and foolish, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Chris. Well, welcome again. If I haven't met you, if I didn't catch you at the beginning, uh, my name is Stacy Crofton. I am uh, serve as a pastor here, and, um, and uh, I've been here for a number of years, and I would love to get to know you and your story. Uh, if you ever want to grab coffee or anything like that, email me or text me or grab me after the surface, service, surface, service. I uh, would love to uh, get to know you better. You know, when I was in college, uh, I went to a college in Texas, Baylor University. And uh, we, after freshman year, uh, typically lived in houses or apartments off campus. Not uh, uncommon, but we lived in a house that now, I, I, I think quite after, soon after I lived in it, was torn down. But um, <laughs> it was so dilapidated. But... Um, Instead, my, in my junior year, my roommates and I, instead of uh, having a dog, uh, we decided to have a pig. So um, my, one of my roommates, who uh, grew up more in a uh, farming community, got us a pig, and, and we named her Pearl. And uh, Pearl, we even had a Christmas party called Pearl's First Christmas, had people over, put antlers on the pig. Yeah, it was, it was a great deal. Not like, you know, mean, like glued them on. We're talking like, you know, styrofoam antlers. Um, but, you know, having a pig is a little different than having a dog. I don't know if you have a pig or have had a pig. Some of you may have grown up in those kind of, you know, areas, farming areas. But having a pig, your backyard, our backyard was incredibly fertile, like, <laughs> Dug up the whole thing. The ground was just like, oh. I mean, the thing just rooted everywhere. Um, it, it just, it was incredible to have this kind of an animal 
And, uh, you know, as college, you know, students, you know, especially a bunch of guys in the house were like, what is, you know, what's this like this pig bring home bacon? I wonder if, if Pearl would eat bacon, you know, like that kind of dumb stuff. But it, it was so funny to have Pearl, <clears throat> oftentimes um, we would study at home in our house. And I was there by myself one day and I heard this weird noise, this like the strange, like things you just don't usually hear. And I went outside in the backyard and Pearl was nowhere to be found. And all of a sudden I hear the little snorting sounds and I I turn and there's a, a gap under the house that Pearl, I guess, has gone under there and just started, you know, rooting around. making. So I, I kind of look under there like, do I need to help Pearl out, like underneath the house? And I notice that Pearl is standing under the, the back bathroom, which I then realize is not held up by anything other than a log. Like literal, like somebody took a log and went what, and wedged it under there. There's no framing. There's no like beams. It's just some log holding up the back bathroom. I'm like, Pearl hits that thing with, with her booty. That thing's going, I mean, bathroom down everywhere. I mean, it was awful. I mean, it revealed everything underneath that. And like, and I wouldn't have known any of that. I mean, our house was so bad that if you put a marble in it, it would just not stop rolling. One of those kind of things. Um, but I would have never known what was underneath had, had Pearl not gone under there. You know, we're beginning a new, kind of a new series today. We, we just finished The Life of Moses. Now we're beginning a series called The Law of Moses. Kind of a two-parter, but a little bit of a diff- different series. And we're looking at the commandments, 10 commandments, as you heard read. And one of the number one questions that comes up when you start talking about the 10 commandments is, what does the law have to do with me? Like, even though we're a church to talk about grace, we may talk, what is the law, what do the commandments really have to do with me? How does faith interact with, with law? Like, how do those things work together? And, and the topic of faith and works is a constant question. What, what I really think we need to understand is, is what, what do we really believe our relationship with God is built on? Like, if you were to get underneath, what is it really built on? Is it on... You being here, (laughs) is it built on the things you do throughout the week? Is it built on your goodness? Is it built on becoming a nicer person? Is it being well-adjusted? Is it following the commandments? See, what we're going to look at this morning is where where do the Ten Commandments begin? And they begin with us asking that very question. What is the foundation? And it gets up underneath to force us to say, what really is holding this whole thing up? Where does it really begin? What's the foundation? Because Jesus himself, and we'll look at this a number of times, in the New Testament is always having this discussion. And he never says, get rid of the law. Now, I think we, know, we may know that. Maybe you're used to those verses or may have heard that at some point. Even if you're here and kind of uh, dabbling back into Christianity or coming back into the church, maybe you're asking that question, what, What does the Old Testament have to do with the New? Maybe the New Testament trumps the Old. No, Jesus is always coming back to say, the law does not go away. In fact, he says, it's not, I'm not here to abolish it. My presence here is not to say, no more law, all grace. He never says that. But what he does begin with, and what the commandments do at the very beginning is to say, what is this whole thing built on? It's got to be built on the foundation of our relationship with God in order for us to live in relationship with God. 
first begins with God. It begins with who he is. That's the number one question. I don't know if you've ever been to a bar mitzvah or a bat mitzvah or maybe have some friends uh, who are Jewish or maybe you yourself came out of that background. I remember going to one when I was really young and I, don't, I remember like bits and pieces um, of it, of a friend of mine who's, uh, it was their bat mitzvah. But the, actually that word bar mitzvah, bat mitzvah, it means son or daughter of the commandments. It means what was a son or daughter of the commandments? Bar mitzvah, son, bat, daughter. What would it look like for us to really understand that we are called to be sons and daughters of the commandments? Because we are called sons and daughters. Where do we begin? So we're going to look at that this morning. We're going to look at the Ten Commandments. We're going to begin here. And we're going to look at two simple things. I guess we could probably use these in a number of ways. But first, uh, we're going to look at the love he has for us. And then how do we live uh, in love with him? What is the love that God has for us? And then how do we live in love with God? How do we live in love? So let's ask the question. How do the Ten Commandments begin? Now, most of us may think it begins with, thou shalt not. But it actually doesn't begin that way. (laughs) If you notice in these verses, and some of you are like, I hope they asked me to read scripture during the Ten Commandments because there's like two verses for each one. Yes. You know. (laughs) Um, But it begins this way. It doesn't begin, you shall not. It begins, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall not have, uh, you shall have no other gods before me. In fact, this is actually more of a positive command. In fact, it begins not even with the command. It begins with, I am the Lord your God. It begins with God himself. And think about this, is is these are a group of people, and we need to take a step back, because in our modern culture, we look at the Ten Commandments, we have them, we think of them in specific ways. But when they heard these, this is not something they were used to. They heard these as ex-slaves who had been for four centuries enslaved. Now think about that even on its, on its own. So enslaved that, that their mentality was, they didn't have a, a, any sort of category for not being enslaved. So even, even their, their children's children who would hear this, who were with them, only knew of slavery. They only knew of making bricks without straw. They only knew of the Pharaoh. They only knew of that, that category of them being in a land that was not their own and that they were oppressed and enslaved. That's all they knew. That, that is their category. So when they come to Mount Sinai, they're not coming as a people like ready, like a church congregation said, give us the law. This is a whole new category for them. So what, where would God begin? He would begin with himself. You know, I, I mentioned this last week about uh, Juneteenth, which was uh, recently made a, a national holiday, which is fantastic. And some, m- many of us in this room may not even know what Juneteenth is, but it's a celebration of June 19th, which was the official oldest date of ending slavery in the United States. Now, that is actually... Uh, after, it came even after the Emancipation Proclamation by Abraham Lincoln. And where that came from was even in, uh, in 1865, two years later, when in, in Galveston, Texas, Major General Gordon Granger stood up on a balcony 
because in Texas itself, much of the, there are there less Union soldiers there to, to get the word and to change what was going on. This is the, the date that changed and that they set. He stood up on a balcony to provide a speech saying, here is the decree of what it means to be free. And this is what his speech entailed. It says, the people of Texas are informed that in, in accordance with proclamation for the executive of the United States, all slaves are free. This involves an absolute equality of personal rights and rights of property between former masters and slaves and the connection, but therefore, uh, here, here, here therefore to existing between them becomes that between employer and hired labor. The freedmen are advised to remain quietly at their present homes and work for wages. They are informed that they will not be allowed to collect military posts and they will not be supported in idleness either there or elsewhere. It was a declaration. Imagine that. On this, they only knew of slavery. On this was a declaration. And if you heard the language, some even in that, of not to go back into this life of slavery, but live, in, live out your freedom. Not to go back into idleness, but live out this freedom. Now, we know in our American history, how that's played out in difficulty in other ways. But think about these people coming out of slavery, what God is doing, why, does the, why do the Ten Commandments begin this way? This is actually something that these ex-slaves of Israel would actually understand. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. It's a declaration. See, what this was is an ancient way of setting up a treaty between a king and uh, the vassal kings or rulers. And what it did was it set up this proclamation of a king stating his name, <clears throat> providing terms of a covenant relationship, whereof the, if there are curses, if they're broken, and there are blessings, if they're kept. But it always begins by stating the name. It begins this way because the commandments don't begin with the command. They begin with the king. They begin with the one who brought them out of slavery, the one who saved them the creator himself. See, this command, different even than the other ones, and the way it's even written, you shall, not have, you shall have no other gods before me, is actually talking in a different way too. It gets up underneath the behaviors. It gets up underneath the, the ways that we typically think of the commandments, like I need to do this. This actually doesn't begin with you need to do this or that. It actually begins with how do you really love him? How do you love the one who really loves you? It begins with his care bringing us out of slavery, but how do you love him? It's separate from the other ones because as, as some theologians have said, that it prescribes relationship rather than an act. That's what this commandment begins with. It prescribes relationship. And it causes us to ask the question instead of, am I a good person? It causes us to ask, why do we love what we love? Why do we do what we do? We understand this in some ways, all of us. Uh, when we had something that was really grinding us as a kid, and maybe our children feel this right now, and to free you up and encourage you children. If we were feeling like there was something really grinding in our minds and we, it was something difficult and we wanted to approach our parents about it, and maybe it was a, a difficult question about something in life or something we, they heard at school or something we've encountered with a friend, and we had that inkling of, can I go to my mom or dad and ask them this question? How will they respond? 
Well, they respond with a, oh, don't do that. Or, whoa, 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 why are you talking about that? Or do they respond first as a mom or dad, and you are my son and daughter? See the difference? The fear is often when we think of our relationship with God, when we think of the, that relationship, we look up underneath and we think it's first, okay, God's saying, do this, don't do that. And that's what the law is. But the law actually doesn't begin that way. The law begins with him saying, I'm your father. I am the Lord. He doesn't say, because why? In, uh, in order for us to bring our true self to him, all the things we love more than him, we need to understand that we are loved. That's what provides safety when you come to, when you felt like you could go to your parents and bring something that was really hard or difficult. And a lot of us didn't feel like we could because we didn't know if it was safe. We didn't know if we'd get a command back or if we'd get first relationship back. That then what taught us to live in a different way, right? That's what God is doing. God is saying, this comes up underneath it. And how does he begin? He says, I am the Lord your God. If we break that down, the I am there is, is actually a statement that you may have heard when we were talking about the life of Moses. At the very beginning, when Moses encounters God in the desert, and there's this burning bush, even if you may be unfamiliar with the Bible, this is kind of a famous passage in Exodus chapter 3. When God meets Moses in a burning bush and he's like, I need to take a look at that thing. Literally, he says that in Hebrew. And he walks over and the bush is burning and God, out of that flame, says, I am. When you go to the people and you tell them who I am, my name is I am. It's a very hard thing to translate. But I am, I'm always, always existent. But he sets himself, he gives him name, but the translation of that here even is a personal. He's giving himself his name. To actually give his name here meant he was saying, I want you to know me. It's kind of like the difference between somebody coming out and saying, and, and maybe again, you meet somebody and they say, I'm Mr. Croft. Or they say, hi, I'm Stacy. Which one sounds more formal? Which one sounds more intimate? The Lord is actually providing his name. And then if you look in your Bible or maybe on your phone or whatever, wherever you're looking, you may notice the word Lord, L-O-R-D right there. It's not a title. It's actually in all caps. And this is one of the very few places that this happens. It's in all caps, and it may even be shrunk in font size in your Bible or your phone. But it's in all caps because it's the word, the most intimate name that actually even Hebrews today will not use in, in public because they switched it out in order to preserve that name as such holiness. Not that they don't believe in it, but it's such richness. It's Yahweh. And in other places in the Bible, it's, it's moved to Adonai because they, we don't even want to say it. It's such an intimate name that the Lord has given us. It's so personal <clears throat> that God himself is giving himself to us. See, this isn't just a king saying, I'm your king. Now do these 10 things. He's saying, I am your God. I am the Lord. Here's my name. I want you to know me intimately. I want you to know me personally. I want you to know the one who brought you out of Egypt that's different than anyone else or anything else in your life. 
Even the language you're there, I, I thought this is, a, like, this is not meant to be a, a linguistic lesson, but, but if you break down the Hebrew word your, I am the Lord your God, it's actually not a plural, it's a singular. In other words, he's saying, I'm your God, and your God, and your God. He's getting to the depth of every single person there. As the commandment isn't just this, everybody should love me. He's saying, you. He's getting past all the, the, the window dressing to get to the reality of what is in the depth of you. I am your God. Yours, to the core of you. I'm your love. This is why in, in Matthew chapter 5, in the New Testament, it's an interesting place because this is where Jesus actually goes up this, to give what's called the Sermon on the Mount. And when he does, it says he sat down on the mountainside, he opened his mouth, and then there's this constant, and almost like law, he's constantly reaching back to Exodus in a way. What is he doing? The New Testament is riddled filled with pictures of who is Jesus. What, what is this supposed to illuminate for us about the old? It's not, it's not, here's the new, there's the old. It's to say, wait a minute, the old is, is bringing us to the new and saying Jesus is fulfilling those things. And what does he say in the Sermon on the Mount? The law and the prophets will not be abolished, right? Not even a, a small stroke from them will be removed but they will be fulfilled and it's not that they are fulfilled that we don't care about them but they're fulfilled the law drives us to Jesus it's saying it has a purpose in its end to point to we sing this song every um, Christmas I love bringing up Christmas songs in July I'm sure we'll you'll probably actually see some in our worship services uh, over the next weeks uh, because I think they're so good to, to bring back up to remind us. But O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, the very last stanza in that, listen, listen to this. This is, this is a Christmas song about Jesus coming. O Come, Adonai, notice the change even there. Lord of might, who to thy tribes on Sinai's height in ancient times did give the law in cloud and majesty and all. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. Rejoice. Not just in, in, in the law, but the lawgiver, the one who comes. The law comes in, lawgiver comes in flesh to give the law, not to point to what you need to do or not do. What does Jesus say? I am the truth, the way, the life. In order to make sense of the law, it's first coming through Jesus, how does the law come to us? It comes by God coming to us first in relationship. Even Old Testament and then fulfilling itself in the new. So we find first, in order to, to live the law, we have to know how we're loved by him, the one who comes to us. So what does it really mean to live in love? That's the one question we're gonna talk about actually every week uh, in some ways. Because the first commandment, as, as anyone will, will read or see across time, space, every theologian says, if you want to understand 
all of the other nine commandments, you have to come through the door of this first one. They all come through that to make sense of everything else. And the question is, how does faith and work connect? Okay, what does Jesus say about the commandment? That he hasn't come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So where do the commandments work their way out in our lives? Are they just kind of things we're like, man, I hope I do well at that? Or are they things we strive to? They're things, yes, we see the foundation isn't the commandments. It is our relationship with him. That's what's up underneath. But we need to understand to build up into that and to live for him. We have to know that love. Where are our loves? Some of you uh, may have heard this story before. Some of you may have been at, <coughs> excuse me, Vanderbilt when I was um, a campus minister there. I, I remember sitting with a group of students, uh, guy students, and, and they were sitting around talking about how they have this, you know, uh, great, how they like keep each other accountable and relationship. And, and they started saying, yeah, man, I had to eat the onion yesterday. I was like, eat the onion? What are you talking about? And, I, and they began to explain to me that in their group, <clears throat> if they stumbled, uh, if they uh, found themselves, be it lust or anything else, um, that they had to literally take an onion like an apple and eat it. And it was their way of like keeping each other accountable. And I was like, that is awful. Like, and I was just looking at them going, how many of y'all have actually eaten an onion and uh, it was funny, that response in and of itself. Um, you know, if they you get an, think about eating an onion that way. I mean, oh, but, but what were they doing? And it was actually a really great moment for, for all of us because it, it made me, as well as me, to teach them, as well as me to, to remind myself. Oftentimes, that's what we think of in this relationship. We even have accountability relationships or people in our life that push back on us. And we usually, usually utilize the commandments to do that rather than what it's really needing to address is a deeper love. What is this commandment about? What is this first commandment of? It's asking what is at the control center of your love? See, most of the time we think of, okay, I need to be better. I, I bet, and I've sat with many of you, you've probably said this back to me a number of times. When we talk about our relationship with the Lord, hey, how is your relationship with the Lord? Or those kind of questions, oftentimes we go, man, I just need to do, I need to get back into, I need to. But what are we doing? We're getting back into behavior modification. Not getting back up underneath what the commandments are getting at. The commandments aren't about our behavior modification. They're about getting at the control center of our loves. Otherwise, we're all eating onions. And we're trying to just not eat the onion. Does that change anything? It doesn't. Not eating the onion isn't the success. Seeing ourselves really change what we love is that. Do you know in the New Testament, when it refers to the law in the Old Testament, it calls it the law of liberty. It actually says the law is a law of liberty, of freedom. The law is actually to free, be something we live in in freedom. Why? Because we don't think that typically. We think of the law as opposite of love. But actually, 
when we are in love, what do we do with our life? I mean, if you were, during confession, to really pin down, I mean, even take it on a lighter level. When you, when you, when you love someone or something, you begin to, to, to pour your resources into it, your time, your energy, your emotion, all right? It, 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 it's something you run to when you daydream. It's something you, you think about. You're like, oh, when, when things are hard, you, what's the place where you go, well, at least I'm loved by, right? That's the real question. And that's how do we live in love? This is amazing. This is why David says in the Psalms that he delights in the law of the Lord, not because he delights in it to say, look at, look, I can keep all these things really well. And if you read the life of David, you know he doesn't at all. But because he was, he was delighted in the character of God. He delighted that the law drove him back to his Lord and that he lived for him. It's living. We do, in fact, here's what's funny about oftentimes when we have that discussion about law and grace. We actually live this out constantly because everything you love, you set up laws for. Your life is a law around what you love. You say, I'm not, I'm not going to compromise this. I'm going to boundary this. I'm going to do, right? Anything that we really, really, really love, we live for. That's what the law is. The law is saying, in this one particular, this command is saying, what do you, how do you really love him? It's, it's wedding vows is what this, if you want a, want a simple illustration of what this command is, it's the exclusivity of loving God. I've done a number of weddings, maybe you remember these vows, but they're wedding vows. And, and they say this at the very beginning, will you have this woman or man to be your wedded wife or husband, to live together after God's word in the holiest state of matrimony? Will you love uh, him or her, comfort him or her, honor and keep him or her in sickness and health, forsaking all others? to be faithful only to him or her. That's what this commandment is getting at, right? When we say those vows, we're not saying, okay, how you keep, we don't, we don't go to each other, are you keeping those? We talk about how are you loving your spouse. This is what it's saying, forsaking all others. It's getting at the command center of our love and saying, do you really love God in, in order to, fit? now it doesn't mean you don't have loves in your life. This doesn't mean because many of us may be married in this room, we talk or even have friendships with people of the opposite sex. That's not what it's saying, but it's saying in the presence of what is the one relationship that shows that you are his. In fact, that's actually what the translation is of before me. It says in this verse, no other gods before me. The word before means, it's not like you have other gods and there's a priority. It actually means in the presence of. It means that there's not this other relationship going on in the presence of God. This is why when we watch shows like The Bachelor or those kind of shows, that they're so awkward and what they feed off of, and I watch it, I'm not afraid to tell you, um, it's awkward. You know, what, you know what the fuel is for that show? And so many of those kind of, there's a million of those kind of shows. Is that there's one person dating like a million people, right? Like 25, here's 25 people coming up in a limo. And what is the thing that is the fuel? Oh man, it's so hard because you're dating so-and-so while you're dating me. And you're, that's like what they literally have all the interviews based off of. Be why? Because it's hard for them, even in that dating relationship, to be in the presence of 
this bachelor or bachelorette dating them while they're dating all these other people in their presence. Think about that. That is the show. If you ever, some of you are like, I've never seen it. That's the show. You're not seeing anything different. It's just repetitive, season after season. Isn't that the same issue in us? What the Bible is saying, why it begins here, is to get up underneath your behavior to say, what are you really putting in the presence of God that you love similarly, or maybe more than him, but you, you love God. I mean, you say you love him, but you also love these other things, not in exclusivity too, but you love them the same. This is why God's jealousy is what it is. This is why in Romans 1, and this is the thing I want to draw out from that, is it says exchanged the creator for the creation. Because we go to those things, we go to those creative, those things in creation to give us the ultimate love that we think that they will give, but they cannot bring us out of slavery. There has been only one who's done that. That's why we exchange the truth of God for a lie. Because the truth is nothing else can give us. It can promise. And we go to them all the time. Will you love me? Oh, I'll love you, but you you, you need to give me this, X, Y, Z, right? Only one has said and decreed and proclaimed, I have brought you out of slavery. I am the Lord, your God. Nothing else. Nothing else can do that. That's why Jesus in John later on is in this big discussion and they're constantly getting at Jesus. And they're trying to have this conversation with the religious leaders are because their number one question with Jesus is, what are you going to do with the commandments? Like, what's your deal with the law? This is why more than anything else, Jesus actually talks about the law. I don't know if you notice that. There's a moment where he has this conversation with them and Jesus said in John 8, he says, the Jews who had believed in him, and he said, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And then others said, they answered him, we are offspring of Abraham, and we have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever, but the son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. This table is a reminder of the expression of how we're loved. There's nothing about this table that can warrant the fact that you can come to it, that you've kept the commands. The foundation of this table is not Christ Presbyterian Church even. It's not my table. The foundation of this table is what it actually is, is that God gave himself for you. It is his love and a taste, a reminder to work within you to remind you what it means to be a son or daughter of the commandments. That it's not about your good keeping or being nice. You can't come to this table if you simply think that you've done a good job. You can only come to this table if you believe and trust that 
it wasn't you that loved him. You don't come to this table with that love. You come first because he loved you first. And we don't leave this table the same. It doesn't end there. It actually causes us to leave and what? Live out our love by what? There are no other gods before me. That we begin to say, what do I put in the presence of God that I really love that may even be good things? My family, my job, my personality, my things I want, what I see in account, what, how many friends, how do I feel surrounded? Those things are great things, but they will always break your heart because they cannot be the one that brings you out of slavery. And if you want to go love those things well and you want to be a healthy, healthy one who knows love, you have to know the one that loved you first. Let's stand together. And we're going to, in our creed, actually recite the one about the one who loves us first. This is a, a, a response and call. Is the Father with us? He is. Is Christ among us? He is. Is the Spirit here? He is. This is our God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We are His people. We are redeemed. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up unto the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give him thanks and praise. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power, might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Please be seated. It was on the night that Jesus was betrayed. He took bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body given for you. Take, eat, all of you, do so in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup and he poured out the wine saying, this is my blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. It's my blood of the new covenant. Hear that word, that language covenant. This proclamation by Jesus. It wasn't a command. It was what he said. This is his blood given, shed. This is his body given. So as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do proclaim something yourself. You are proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes again. And as we say in our church, if he has come once and showed his promise true, he will come again and he will make it all right. Well, our <clears throat> uh, in a moment, as you see, our process has moved uh, back somewhat to uh, what it used to be. In a moment, you're going to have a time of, of quiet just to spend some time meditating just before you come to this table. Bring your heart before the Lord. We have three tables, uh, one in the back, two, up, two stations, three stations, so to speak, uh, two up here, one in the back. You'll be dismissed to go back that way or forward through the center aisle. You'll receive uh, the cup. You can take it right there or take it back to your seat. Uh, we'll go uh, continue moving back to your seat uh, as the music's being played. Uh, and then we will finish by singing together. Um, if you need assistance at any point for someone to bring you communion and have a hard time coming forward, please let us know. I'd be happy to bring you that as well. Let's take a moment now to prepare our hearts to come to this table. Let's go before the Lord quiet.